Welcome to Top Guns, a podcast showcasing women who are veterans in their field. Focusing mostly in the entertainment industry, comedians, performers, musicians, actresses, carnies, and more. These ladies are seasoned, experienced, and they've all worked their tits off and at the top of their game. They're up there with the best of the best. They are top cunts. My eighth guest features Vicki Barbalak. Vicki is one of America's funniest, most authentic comedians. She started stand-up comedy when she was 38 years young after seeing an ad for a class in the garbage bin. That class changed her life. Vicky quickly realized that making people laugh gave her more happiness than she ever dreamed possible. After a few years of open mic nights, she was taken under the wing of Mitzi Shore, the owner of the world-famous comedy store. In 2007, she won Nickelodeon's America's Funniest Mom, hosted by Roseanne Barr, and at the age of 60, she got one of her biggest breaks and was a fan favorite and top 10 finalist on season 13 of America's Got Talent. Simon Cowell adored her, and Howie Mandel said she needed her own TV show. Vicky is honest, real, driven, hilarious, and a total inspiration. She reminds me that comedy being a young man's game is utter bullshit, and that anything is possible when you believe in yourself and you don't have too many fucks to give. She is truly a top cunt. So thank you so much uh, for doing my podcast, Vicki. I'm so happy to have you. This You're like the perfect guest. And thanks, Sharon. It's nice to see you somewhere besides the hallway of the comedy store. I love it. <laughs> I know. I feel like a stalker in there, but I, lo- I don't care what anyone thinks. I just love going sure. in there. It's so much fun there. It is so much fun. It's, it's always fun to see you there. Everyone loves it. So I saw you just the other night, a couple of nights ago, I came to watch your set in the main room and you killed it. You came right on and you followed uh, Mark Marin, and um, you were hilarious. Did you enjoy when I uh, knocked the microphone down with my I boo? loved it. I loved it. I was howling in the back. Howling. I couldn't believe it. I, you know, those boots are size 10 and a half and I wear an eight, but they're so cute. When I saw them at the thrift store, I had to buy them. So they're, they're very clumsy. You were great. You were so great. And it's so nice too, because I like watching the audience, watching people. And what's always great is seeing how different people react to different comics. And just to have someone like yourself come out that brings a totally different energy, a different perspective and watching all the different people react to it. And, you know, because it's not only women of you know a certain age that like you there were loads of younger girls in the audience like young millennials that were loving you so it was really great to see it's you know it's like you worry oh I'm gonna follow Mark Marin and he's like so popular and he's so smooth and he's so brilliant and then you're like and I'm gonna go up and go my underwear are too tight and it's kind of like you know, uh, but you kind of have to just go look I am who I am this is it and I got nothing else and you just have to try to believe I think the audience changes the channel like a radio, you know, with every comment that comes up. And that's what my Lou, my favorite and current husband who, you know, plays piano in La Jolla. He's been at the comedy store La Jolla for like 26 years. So he's seen night after night of comedy. And what he always tells me is it's just think of it like radio tuning to a different station. Don't worry about what was before you, or it is just what you are right there. And, and, you know, it, it's true because whenever you feel linger or you know you linger in the person before you, it, it'll you're dead. That's it. They the audience feels it and they love 
authenticity. I like yeah. having a different a palate cleanser and having people up that are different. Yeah, I think that Emily is doing and Jen are doing really good jobs with the lineup. I think it's really cool. The uh, and Amitzi, when she used to do the lineup, she would often put comics that were like having spats back and forth, which she loved that. It, it almost like back then, if you if you wanted to get a spot, just pick a fight with a comic that was always on. You could probably assure <laughs> yourself. But I mean, but she would also like you know she you could tell by the lineup that she really mixed it up in general. And and I think they're they're doing it now because you know sometimes it's just sausage fest, sausage fest, dude, dude, dude. You know, or or even you know the same kind of similar woman. You know, like and and you're like okay, it's good to have you know to mix things up for sure for everybody. And that's what showcases are for, you know, the 15 minute things. Yeah. And so you passed with Mitzi Shore. When did you get passed with her and how did that all tell me how it happened, how it was for you? So I should remember it. Like, I don't even remember what year it was. I'm so bad with dates. Everyone knows the day they got passed the hour. I don't even know. All I know is where I was. It was about, it was about, it was about, three, four years after I started. So I must, uh, it must have been about 22 years ago, probably. And it was, it was a Sunday night in La Jolla and uh, she was there to showcase people. And I always showed up on Sunday night with baked goods because I never got on the Sunday night show. You called Saturday to find out if you were on. I made my daughter call because I was so tired of hearing no. So my daughter would go, this is uh, Vicky Barbalak. She was 12. It's Vicky Barbalak, like she was a smoker. And uh, do I have a spot? And they'd go, no. And she'd go, thank you. Week after week, she checked to see if I got on Sunday. I never got on. And so, uh, what, you know, I'd still go there just to see the comics of the town. And I'd do like a bar show before that. And then I always baked on Sunday anyway. So I brought the doorman food. And and so I was there and I was standing at the bar. And uh, uh, this little woman comes in with the... Uh, this really gorgeous guy named Freddie Soto. And uh, she just little tiny woman just walked in and everyone went, there's like this, this kind of, you know, murmur in the bar. I didn't even know who Mitzi was. And uh, so they go, somebody goes, uh, the bartender goes, uh, Mitzi, Mitzi wants you to go on stage. I'm like, what? Yeah, Mitzi wants to see you. I'm like, okay. And so it, all these people were showcasing and it was really flat in the audience that nobody was really doing very well. But because they were probably terrified because they mostly come from LA to, and a few locals. But I uh, I got up there and I had a really good set. And what happened was Fred, the manager at the time, he was like my hero, but he was brilliantly funny. And, uh, but he thought I was horrible because I, I took Sandy Shore's comedy class and he thought you were a feeb if you did that. And then, and I was really bad, but but he didn't know that I'd been working for like three years, night after night, four or five nights a week at everywhere I could get up. Yep. So I went up there and I had this good set because I'd built up, you know, a good five minutes. And uh, and then, and Mitzi, uh, and I got a great reaction from the crowd and, and uh, walking back down the hall, you know, to get out of the room, Mitzi sits in her booth and she goes, and she motioned me over and she goes, and she tapped the seat and she said, sit down. And she's going, you're funny. I go, well, thank you. And she goes, you're a paid regular. Wow. Go away. And then she goes like that, wave me away. 
So I got up and I went in the lobby and Bobby Lee was there because he, he started in San Diego a few years before me. And he was out in the lobby. I go, Bobby, what's a paid regular? And he goes, Oh man, that's fantastic. You get to go to Hollywood and stuff. Wow. And so then I, yeah. Then I, two weeks later, I, I called in uh, and I got a spot and I wanted to celebrate when I got there and I paid for the parking at the Hyatt for $20. Cause I'd always walk from pink dot or up the hill when I would go to like the, you know, the belly room or to watch a show. And uh, I go, Bobby, I paid for the Hyatt. He goes, why'd you do that? I go, I'm celebrating. And he goes, uh, this is our parking lot. You know, you're paid regular. I'm like, shit. So I ran over to the Hyatt. Can I have my money back? No. That's great. I love it. I love just how Mitzi just kind of gave you, like brought you in and then gave you the wave. It's like, like a mafia. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Go away. Like she was afraid I was going to sit and talk to her and, and she was busy, you know, and also I was just probably dumbfounded. I'm like, who is this? person and then you know quickly found out who she was and everything and and uh just got so lucky and if and then when I first went to Hollywood I I went in the main uh, OR and I never you know you you know you don't go in the OR until you get to go in the OR and I I just I was just so like so like muffled and after my set she goes she just kind of shakes her hands at me and she goes you need to uh uh go back to go back to La Jolla work work come up come up and then you come back and I said okay and then I waited like six months and I I called back and she goes why did you wait so long hilarious but it was just it was so much fun and and just being with her was such a treat so she really believed in you she really fostered you yeah, I was so lucky that, you know, some of the last group of people to get to work with her, you know, and she was so, so good to me. And, you know, and once I, I told my parents to sell the carpet store and that I was going to do stand up full time. And I literally, my daughters and I bought a trailer and moved into a trailer and we were instantly completely broke. And she always made sure that I had one weekend every month she gave me to like open or feature in La Jolla. And I got a thousand dollars and she knew if I had a thousand dollars that we could make it. I mean, that was like our base core of support. Yeah. You know, I, because she did, she just knew. Yeah. You know? yeah. And nobody else got to be in La Jolla that much. She just knew. She just told me flat out, you and your kids need the money. Oh. So it was like, yeah. What, what I find so interesting and inspiring about you, Vicky, is that you didn't start stand up until you know, later in your life, like what you were 38, 40 before you started. Yeah, 38 when I took my class. And, yeah. 38 when I took the class and started doing open mics and yeah. Yeah. Like over 40 when I got passed and just had started it basically. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know that was a bad idea. I had no idea. It's not a good idea. But, but, you no, know, it's, it's great because I really feel like there's so many people I know that are like they hit 40 and they kind of feel like, Oh, I'm done now. And I'm done. Exactly. Ordering about you is that you're like, I'm 40. I'm starting. And you did it. You know, it's, it's, it's so great. It's so awesome. It, it's it, I'm so grateful that I got to do it. And then I did it. And then I didn't know what a bad idea it was. Cause if I had known, I might not. People told me not to do it. They go, don't sell your parents' business you're insane. You're walking away from all this money that you've built for, I worked here since I was 19. And, and I, I, I just go, I don't, there's not enough money in the world to maybe be able to keep doing this and, and, and not, 
because I knew I could I couldn't do both. I I know it sounds weird, but I just couldn't do both because running that business was my parents were getting ready to retire. It was going to be all on me, and it was just I didn't see it, and uh, it was just all all worked out, and I wouldn't trade any of it, you know, for what happened. It's It's right. I was watching your videos today. Um, and I was watching the America's Got Talent. And then what I loved is that you were, they showed your age. So you were 60 when you got America's Got Talent. Yeah. And that I think is so awesome. Like, I think you, you, you give a lot to people, especially women, because there's so much gendered ageism in the entertainment industry to see. Oh yeah. Every industry. Yeah. Especially entertainment, but you're right. You're right. So to see someone who's 60 and at their killing it on America's Got Talent, I was like, it made me feel good because I was like, oh, yeah, shit, anything's possible. This is great. And I got so many uh, I heard from so many women, you know, all over the country of the world, you know, saying thank you. It just, and one woman walked up to me after a show and she goes, since I saw you on America's Got Talent, I started my own business and I've made over eighty thousand dollars. I'm like, bitch, what business? <laughs> <laughs> Let me follow you. But I, I know what I was going to tell you. One day I was standing in the hallway where you and I always talk. And Kelly Kristen, who was a really good friend of mine and, and still is a good friend, uh, she was doing all these writing workshops, which she was really a funny comic. And and she was about 30, 35 at the time. Yeah. Maybe 38, whatever. And she said, uh, she said, I go, um, yeah, you're doing all this writing and, she, you know, you're going to be a writer. That's awesome. She goes, yeah, you know, I, I've got to think about my future. You know, you can't imagine doing stand up when you're 60. And I went and I didn't say anything to her. Yeah. I was like, uh, what is that? Is that true? Because I, in my mind, I go, it's probably going to take me at least 15 years to become a master. That'll put me at like 55. Oh, no. I can't do stand-up when I'm 60. I was like right away going, oh, no. But then I just went, no, <laughs> you know? And I kept thinking of people like, you know, Phyllis Diller and Rodney Dangerfield. I'm like, no, some people can. It's Absolutely. possible. Absolutely. Like, why can't a woman who's 60 tell us something funny about her, from her perspective? Like, it doesn't make any sense. It, you know, I, 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 and I know we can, and I know we do, and I know we get laughs, but why doesn't anyone else know that? You know, I mean, that's just the thing. These, um, you know, there's, there's still this feeling of, um, of just, just complete stupidity. Yeah. And, you know, I get it. I get it. We you know in general, people don't think women are as funny as men, which is incredibly stupid. And then, and, and absolutely not true. Yeah, opposite land, I think. And then the other thing is, you know, people think older people are like uh, superficial and invisible. So once you just kind of like get that and say, fuck it, you know, cause I don't, I don't know that there's anything else to do, but that other than just keep paddling, because we're not going to be able to call a certain booker up and say, well, give me a shot, you know, because fuck them. They're not going to. They uh, there's just have to one find the doors that will open and go through those. And then the ones that won't, you know, if they, they just won't. And so um, it's I try not to I battle it, but I but I usually end up understanding that it it, 
there's no reason to be upset about what's not there for you and just look for what's there. And because there's plenty, but there, if you started concentrating on all the, the no's, then you just, you wouldn't get out of bed. And I, when I was younger, I mean, even when I started, I was told, no, you're too fat. You're too old. No, no, no. And so I would just, I believed him. So I stopped asking for any representation. Yeah. I, I just said, oh, that's not going to happen for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you've showed them like you were the, it was, what was it? Season 13 of America's Got Talent in 2018. You were right. a fan favorite and a top 10 finalist on it. And I watched the footage like Simon Cowell, who's so critical. He loved you. He loved you. Yeah, that's right. It was great. And I mean, my, before I went, went on stage, my daughters were backstage with me and they go, mom, um, Simon's going to probably buzz you. So you you have to get three buzzes before you stop, mom. Do you understand? But they'd already explained that to me in the morning because I'd never really seen the show. Yeah. Um, we'd watch it a couple of times on YouTube before I did it. Yeah. But I didn't, you know, so, but they explained the rules that morning. So I knew what my daughters were telling me, but I didn't tell them because I didn't want them to feel stupid. But, um, but we actually made a little like joke that I would do when Simon buzzed me. We were all ready for that buzzer. And uh, it was so shocking that it went so well, because also those two minutes that I did on that very first episode show, and this happened all through the season, you go around doing these two minutes and every time they suck, they bomb every time because you walk into a club and people are just riffing and doing, oh, fuck you, man. And just my, you know, and then they're just having these amazing sets. And then you go up and you go diddly 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 for two minutes and then you because I I never allowed myself to, to do anything but the two minutes because I wanted it to be as horrible as possible so I I so I did never know each to each episode of that show whether or not the the, the set was going to work because it never worked when I was doing it so I was so happy that it went that way well, what's what's it's like a writing exercise too. Like they always say, it's harder to tell a story in five lines than it is to tell a story in a whole page. And I think the same can be true for stand up, where when you think about doing a two minute set to get the audience to hook them and to get them to like you and to want more within two minutes is harder than giving somebody 10 minutes or 15 oh, minutes. It was crazy. And at first I was like, this is bullshit. This isn't even art. This is just a, this is a, the stupid thing they're making me do. And I was really resentful of it in the first like few weeks of trying to write that set. Yeah. And then I started really liking it like a haiku kind of, yeah. I kept thinking it was like a Zen experience. Cause I felt like after right before that happened, I had finally gotten to the place where I could stand on the stage and do an hour without knowing what I was going to do. And that's what, you know, you want to do as a comic, you want to get to that place where you material is out, you know, you just want to do that. And I finally got like, I felt like I could do that, you know, on occasion, not every time, but I could do it. Yeah. And I was so like, re- just yay, I'm level. And then to go and to go and to have to grind down. So it took me like a, a few weeks of like being a little bitch. Yeah. And then I went, this is really a great opportunity to get really disciplined. And it was a great experience for that reason. Yeah, you're right. It's awesome. And then what also was really interesting is that I saw that in, it was 2007, you won the Nickelodeon's America's Funniest Mom. It was hosted by Roseanne Barr. And then she was so impressed with you that she hired you to be one of the writers. And then you opened for her. 
Yeah, I wrote jokes for her for a while. How and was she, that? Yeah, it was really fun. I mean, I you know, she left the comedy store before I started. Yeah. She was gone from stand-up. Uh, and I was always afraid if she saw me, would she think I'm like a hack of her? Because I live in a trailer. I'm fat. I have brown hair. I'm a mom. I do populist humor. I thought she would probably think I'm a fucking little hack. That's what I was always worried about. And uh, the night that the first night of America's Funniest Mom was at the Laugh Factory. And uh, I goes, I, I get there and I find out she's going to be the host. I go, shit. And then I, and I was nervous about that opportunity. I really wanted to get on that show. And uh, I, I was kind of freaked out anyway. And I go, is she here? And they go, no, she's not here. I'm like, oh, thank God. So I, I went up like late in the night. I went up after like 20 women probably. And a lot of them were like actresses just pretending to be comedians and all, but there were some really funny girls. And I went up and but the, I went up and I had never heard her laugh that night. I didn't, I truly believed that guy that she wasn't there. I got up and I said something and I heard, <laughs> I heard her laugh and I went, fuck Roseanne's here. And then, uh, I had said something else. She laughed really hard again. I'm like, okay, she is okay. Yeah. So then afterwards, uh, I went to talk to her and she was gone. But then uh, it, it was, she was, the way she treated me the whole time we were re- filming this the show, it was really like, she had no, she knew that we were completely different, even though we had similarities. You know, it'd be like two dudes, two dudes from New York. You know, they're very similar. They like like two Jewish guys from New York who, you know, could both come from Queens. They could both be comics and they wouldn't feel. And so it was like that. She she knew that she recognized it because she's really smart about comedy. And uh, so it was it wasn't an issue at all. And then it was really a a great pleasure and honor to get to write for her. I remember sitting in my trailer bedroom, writing her jokes and sending them to her and what she wanted. And it was really fun. That's great. So did you open for her in New York and in Vegas as well? No, it was just in Las Vegas at New York, New York. Oh, okay. Okay. Great. But that was, that did not go well. We should not be on the same stage. (laughs) It's just too much, too matchy matchy. Oh, I love it. I love it. And so how did you like, how, what got you into standup? Uh, so one day I was in the bathroom in the, and uh, in my house, I lived in the house and I was married to my second husband and uh, I was, I was in the bathroom and I saw this ad for a stand-up comedy class poking out of the bathroom trash can. I pulled it out and I said, I wonder I should probably take this comedy class. Cause I always made people laugh. It was what I did all the time. And it's the only thing that mattered. The only thing that ever got me anything, I think. And so I said, I'll do this. And I had never even, I've been one stand-up club in my life. It was the Hollywood Comedy Store on a date years ago. And uh, I'd never been to another comedy room in my life. And I only listened to comedy records and watched TV, but I didn't know anything about the stand-up scene. So I took this class and I walked in with three big books. Sandy Shore taught it at the Comedy Store in La Jolla, Polly's sister, Mitzi's daughter. And, uh, so I get there and I brought three big books with me. So people would think I was smart. And I was just so 
bizarre and, and terrified and shy and, and always feeling inadequate. And, uh, but there was these four guys in that room that were really cool. They're still friends of mine. Although two of them have passed away, unfortunately, but um, we, we were, they were there and, and they were amazing. And Sandy had just uh, translated a book of alien language because she'd been recently abducted on a spaceship for quite some time. For real? And, yeah. <laughs> Good. So I loved her. I thought she was Hilarious. perfect for me. And uh, I remember one time, like the second class, somebody goes, oh, do you do stand-up? She goes, oh, no, I never do stand-up. And I thought that was funny that she was teaching stand-up. But, um, but you can't teach stand-up. But you, the great thing was she facilitated the space, and we, we had to write every week. And then I got to know my good friends there. And then together we would go out and do bars and open mics, all those things that I would never have known about. So it was a really great, great thing that I did to take that class. And she was really good to me. I think that's what classes end up doing for a lot of people. It's like, you can't really like teach, teach stand up, but those classes give you a, a space that's safe enough that you can craft your first couple of minutes and then yeah. helps you from that leap from being there writing to getting up on the mic. And that I think is the biggest part of getting and starting. Absolutely. It, it was great for me. You know, not, people make fun of people that take comedy classes sometimes, but you know, whatever. I think exactly that, like you think it's, if, if you, you know, that you, you could, yeah, you could just go to an open mic and put your name on the list and get to know people eventually. And that that's great. That's, that's the normal way, I guess. Yeah. But then the other way is that class idea. And I just, I would never have ever done it had it not been for that class. So I'm really always grateful. Yeah. Yeah. And how was it being, were you a single mom when you were like getting into comedy at that time and you had two kids? I, I was married really, I was married to the girl's dad Okay. and and it was a really unhappy marriage. And I was living in the garage. I had uh, Lily. Well, anyway, we had converted our garage to an, a, a big family room. So like half a garage, it was like 15 by 24. And it was real, really a nice space. And so I moved in there and I considered myself separated, but it wasn't like legally separated, but I just couldn't. And so I still like went in the main house and cleaned it and, you know, whatever I was in there, but I just didn't have to sleep with yeah. this guy. And <laughs> We were, we were really unhappy together. And, um, but I didn't want to take our family apart because Lily was little. And I just, I just thought, okay, this will work. We can keep doing this. Yeah. And, and so during, you know, uh, by the time I've been doing stand-up, I think, well, it's when I told my parents to sell the carpet store, I think I've been doing stand-up three or three, just probably about the time I became a paid regular. I just decided guys sell the shop. You use the money for your retirement. And I'll just, I'll be fine. And I, I bought this trip. I, I made John give me some money from our house. Yeah. And I, I gave him like $17,000 and I let him keep the house. And I said, when Lily's 18, we'll split the house. We'll sell it then. Yeah. Anyway. So, he, so I moved, I bought a trailer for $11,000. And so at that point we separated like really, and then we did get it, got a divorce like a year later. And then, and then, uh, so it was from then on, I was a single mom for a long time and, but it was, 
it, you know, we were really, 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 really poor. And, uh, but we were really happy, but yeah. you know, you just make it. Yeah. That, cause that's what I, I saw your daughter being interviewed. I think it was on the America's got talent. One of the videos, Yeah, she was so sweet. And she was saying, actually, we had a lot of fun like living in that trailer and with my mom doing comedy, she's like, it was actually a great time. We really had a lot of fun and there was a lot of love. So it's always interesting, but never surprising that you see some of these kids that grow up in Hollywood and they have everything and they're miserable or they end up, you know, they, they end up getting into all sorts of trouble because, you know, they don't feel that they have the the connection or the love of their parents. So you kind of go, there you are, where you say, you, yeah, you were broke. But the things that were really important, your daughter's had. And that right. is really cool. I think, you know, I'm not alone as a mom who, you know, I, I remember always feeling, not always, so often feeling so guilty about my choice to, to take us into this world, like to take them, you know, to have all of their clothes coming from thrift stores to have what I remember about just a two couple of years ago, I said to Emily, Hey, um, somebody wants me to put together something. I need a picture from your yearbook. Emily goes, Oh, we couldn't afford a yearbook. I go, Oh my God. It just, my heart went, Oh my God. You, you didn't get a senior yearbook. She goes, no, I, I told you I didn't want one. I told you, I thought it was uncool. I'm like, Oh, I'm like, ah, oh. um, but, you know, but it is, but, you know, they both um, turned out to be really successful. They also are really good at money because we were so poor that these, my daughters can make a dollar holler like nobody. I mean, they're, Emily has three houses that she That's owns. Amazing. And, wow. and she's just brilliant with money. Yeah. And, and the other one's a scientist and, you know, extremely successful. And I just, you know, in a way they both knew they were on their own. <laughs> They had no, they had no backstop, but um, yeah, but, but it is, uh, but I, you know, I still, I still think that every mom probably thinks they're not, they did the wrong things and I did so many wrong things, but the one good thing was I, I, I never, I always loved him and I, and I never, I never left him anywhere by accident. <laughs> but this is why I think it's so great as a comic, because you bring an authenticity to the stage when you talk about being a mom you're saying the things that probably you know 85 to 90% of mothers want to say but are they're not allowed to and the fact that you go out and you're you're saying it for them and doing it in such a funny way i think that's what's so great about you and that's part of your power it's it's uh it is really fun and it and the girls were at one of my shows the other night both of them were there it was really weird because they can't usually get out anymore because Lily just had a baby. But it was really fun. And then they, a bunch of people from my my grandson Ben's school came. The administrators and teachers were at this one big table. And I'm like, well, Ben's going to have to change schools tomorrow. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it was fun. Because even though I just talk about all the, you know, being the crazy stuff, you know, just stuff about, you know, the way they mother their kids. I'm making fun of them on stage. Yeah, yeah. In the room. And it was a small thing, but it yeah. just about that they're better mothers than me. And, and then I, but I, and I find that annoying. And that it was kind of was like, yes. that was, it was just, it was funny. It was really fun. And that full circle stuff, I really, I really love. And I'm, I just so, so proud of them. And 
they're amazing. They're and beautiful they, too. I met them once with you at the comedy store. That's right. Yeah, because they came yeah. to Hollywood. This yeah. yes. And the um the other thing is they got influenced by a lot of women and comedians. And I think and that and that was really important, you know, that we'd go stay at my friends' homes in LA when on weekends and a lot of a lot of my gay men comedian friends and a lot of my gay girl comedy friends and they they were raised around really fun smart funny cool people and um i think that was really important too they weren't just like the suburban world was there but on the other hand their other life and the the people that came to our trailer because people would always come from la just to get away from la and stay with us for weekends and it was they had they got a lot of really cool influence Well, and just the fact too, that you made a decision at a point in your life where you could have gone this way or this way, and this way would have been safer. Right. Responsible. Yeah. It would have meant the the financial stability, the the right Right. thing to take over your parents' business. So what it would have taken you the, the, the guts to go, I'm going to go this way because knowing that that's actually what you wanted to do that would, but what I think is a great lesson for your daughters as well is the fact that they learned by watching you to take those chances. And not only when you're young, but to take them at any point in your life. I mean, those are, those are lessons and an influence that you would have put a stamp on them that would have enormous amounts of positive influence in them way more than being able to buy a yearbook when they were 18. Yeah. In the end, it's true. It is true. It is true. I mean, and that's what people say, like, you know, you, there's just two ways to look at it. I mean, some, you still could go, well, you really, really, you really took a chance. There's no way I could have kept on that, the carpet store. I just couldn't do it. And I I just couldn't. And, and, uh, and I'm glad, I'm so grateful that everything went just like it did because life was, we just got one shot and and there was never a day where I was, was wishing I, maybe there's a couple days, you know, where I wished I fucked up, but I remember one time somebody brought groceries and left them on the side because I had let a friend of mine know that this hundred dollar job I had booked on a Saturday, I let her know it got canceled. And I was like, I don't know what I'll do this week. And and I shouldn't have said that. I never would say any, I don't know, just out of my mouth. Yeah. And then I get home and there's a, like five bags of groceries from Trader Joe's on the on the stoop. And I was like, George, George Ann, she brought this food over. And I felt like you are the worst, Vicky. People are now having to drop food off for your daughter. And then I went, you know what? Somebody loves me so much. I'm going to just say thank you for that love. And that's going to be that. And I didn't really it kind of, I didn't freak out. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's amazing too, how I think you're a survivor and you're resilient. And sometimes I think for people who are survivors and it's sometimes difficult to just accept help. It's not that they're doing it because they feel sorry for you or they're, you know, they're doing it because they, they want to. Yeah. 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 So that was amazing. And, 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 and so yeah, everything's just, you know, and I'm sitting here in my beautiful new trailer on the top of the hill, just lapping up the life of luxury. It's so great. So now at the comedy store, and you've seen a lot of different ups and downs, like waves that has yeah. happened there. Yeah, yeah. 
there, I've noticed a lot of, like you say, different waves of energy going in and out of there. And, and it's just a, a real lightness now there, you know, there was a lightness before Mitzi got sick and Tommy took over this horrible person. And then there was, and then he was gone. And then it was a little more like kind of brute force. And that was kind of like, then it was kind of knocked down and, and it was kind of nice again. And then, and but now it's like, just so you could feel the lightness in the air because it's a dark, a lot of people, I mean, there's stories of people went through and there's a girlfriend of mine that's staying with me here right now. I mean, she had horrible experiences there. Horrible. I mean, like nudge shouldn't happen to anybody. Yeah. And, uh, but I, I was kind of always lucky. And again, I think it was cause I was an older, I was a mom, you know, and none of the guys were weird to me. Yeah. They were nice. Kind of, I was always kind of shocked, but but the energy around there now is just, it's so wonderful. And there's joy around. It's almost, you know. Yeah. You, yeah. I think also possibly too, because of the pandemic, people realized how lucky we are even just to be performing again. Yeah, for so sure. That back and running in full force. I think people are kind of like, oh my God, isn't this awesome? Exactly. Exactly. It's so much fun. The audiences are so great. They yeah. are, I've never seen audiences like this. It's just smart. It's just everywhere you go. They're just so happy to be there. They love it. They love it. And yeah. so right now you're doing a new podcast with Sean Polofsky, who's also, Sean did my podcast uh, earlier last year. And I love Sean as well. This is so great that I have you both on here now. So you're doing a new podcast and it's called Trailer Park Diaries. Is that right? Yeah, it came out yesterday and um all things comedies produced it for us and it took forever to get out because, you know, it was COVID and everything, but we, uh, we were so happy yesterday. Like people, we were like, you know, it's like, you're, it's like you make something, you don't know if people are going to like it. It's so different. This podcast is, it's such a different concept. It's not like, it's just different. And so it was so, we didn't know what people would think and, and people really, people tell us and well, who's going to say they don't like it, but people really did seem to like it. And people that I read, people that are very brutal yeah. told me they liked it. And I was so happy The couple of people I was terrified of, they're like, their enthusiasm was so high. So I'm kind of so happy that people are liking it because it's, and they're short, they're all under like 30 minutes. Wonderful. And, and, and it, so we read, we, we imagine that Shanika I call Shanika Shanika. She's like my best buddy. And I, we imagine that she moved into my trailer park. You know, she's a diva from Beverly Hills, you know, we, that's the thing. We've always been best friends, but we're so different. Yeah. And so, um, so we imagine that she moves into my trailer park because she gets a divorce and she has to move in here because she's broke till this money thing gets settled. Yeah. And so, and I find these diaries in this trunk. And so we, we decide to read from the diaries together for something to do. And so we just talk about the diary that we're reading and it's, it's, it's a wacky concept and it's a really weird considering of their podcast, but it's really, I liked it a lot. We had a great time doing it and I'm really happy that people are saying they're having a great time listening to it. So it sounds awesome. And again, it's something different and it's a, like, what I think, I mean, eventually you guys should pitch it for a TV show because that's something I would watch. Yeah. Somebody that we both know who's on SNL called us right away when she saw our, um, 
uh, promo videos. Yeah. So the only audio, but yeah. she saw our promo videos that we were sending out. She goes, you know, this ought to be a show. I'm going to make some calls. And we're like, yeah, but we've, we've always thought we should have a show and, you know, it, it, so this, this could, this could help that along, but that idea that, you know, two completely friends in a trailer park, because trailer parks themselves, I think are such an interesting place. Oh, I bet you have some funny like characters and stories. It's this is the truth every day. And, and then, and that, so we're, we're excited. So I think we're going to, you know, you know, hold on to that hold on to that balloon. And, but, but yet the, the podcast itself is just, oh man, it was, a, it was a lot of work. We worked for a year and a half on it wow. and uh, for 12 episodes. Wow. And, but it, it's, you know, they, they called us today from all things comedy and they go, you guys want to record some more? And we're like, yes, we do. That's so exciting. That's yeah. great. And you know, that's such a great platform to be on. Yeah. comedy you've got them behind you that that's fantastic yeah yeah it is yeah it's really it's really nasty <laughs> <laughs> i love it i love it you know you forget you're you forget i don't know what the hell we we have three dudes in there recording us it's not like we don't know where we're recording but we just started going and we just got we said, really, and I was really worried about my daughters too, what they would think. And they were like, I mean, cause we're, I mean, it, it gets, it got, <laughs> it got really dirty. And I was like, oh, they were cool though. So that's good. I love it. And so where can people listen to the podcast? Is it visual as well as audio or just it's not visual, um, okay. but it's, uh, we have a bunch of little uh, scenes that we did to kind of accompany it, but um, it's on all things comedy platform, but it's on Apple. It's on Spotify, trailer park diaries. It's everywhere. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. I can't wait to see it. i actually might go after we have finished our interview. I might go and listen to it right away. Yeah. yeah. Only the first one's only 20 minutes. That's perfect. I think that's great. I think that's a really smart thing to do. I think because they're all like dudes over at all things comedy. I think they edited the hell out of our conversation. <laughs> they're like, well, you guys talk too much, but the bottom line is they still left in a way lot of target. But I guess, but, you know, it was just, it was just crazy. So yeah, I hope you like it. Let me know what you think. You know? yeah, yeah, just call Howie and say, Howie, that TV Howie. show is ready. There you go. I got it. You're hitting your stride and it's so great to see Thanks a lot. Sure. It's been, you know, it's been a fun ride and it's still, it's still like, I feel kind of like that too. It's like, it's, it's, this is really an exciting time. And, you know, you put all the work in and there you are. And there's a, the great thing about it all is once you get you know a little bit older and you just don't give a crap anymore and you'll, and you'll, you'll make that phone call that you wouldn't make when you were young. Then I was young. I was a terribly frightened person, yeah. but um, I'm just so glad that you know now i just hear give it I'm, I'm not afraid of being successful i'm not afraid of of any of that that i used to be afraid of and i'm and i'm so glad that i've gotten to do what i've loved to do and i still get to do it because that's what i kept hoping for please god please god please please let me keep get to do stand up i didn't know what would happen how it would happen yeah you know tommy like threw me out of the store he threw me out joey diaz and one day um Joey Diaz's name and I, my name were both on the, on the marquee outside of the comedy store. 
And Joey Diaz is like five years ago or something. And Joey Diaz goes, Hey, Barbalac, see that motherfuckers. <laughs> I was I like, love it. This is the only regret that I have in my life right now is that I'm my current and favorite husband, Lou. We're getting along so well, which I never expected. I mean, I never expect these things to last. <laughs> if, if for some reason I wasn't with him, what I would get, and I highly recommend you consider this, okay. I would get like a 25 year old boyfriend. Hilarious. And I would just bring him everywhere. Yeah. And I think that would really be the, the one greatest thing I could do for my career at this. Because you would see that it would help, right? Oh, yeah. What would be more helpful than that? This hot guy drives me in his fucking hot car to the club, parks, he takes my coat, just looks at me like he wants to bang me every five seconds. That would really, that would turn some heads. It that would, would be, certainly would. And the most important might move. Most importantly, he could help with social media. Social media. That's the most important thing. I always say to Lou, I'm like, why am I with you? You can't do anything (laughs) I need. Except he irons everything. He irons my shit. He's so good with ironing. That's hilarious. um, Yeah, but you are, that's the only regret I have in my life right now. And that's the only thing I think holding me back from the rocket that I would be riding to stardom at this very moment. I mean, I'm on a ship, but I think I would be on a Tesla rocket. Oh, that's fucking hilarious. So everyone who's listening, go and check out Vicky on Instagram. Your handle is Vicky Barbalock, V-I-C-K-I-B-A-R-B-O-L-A-K. And also check out the uh, Trailer Park Diaries with Sean Polofsky. That is an all things comedy. On every platform. Yeah. I, I just adore you. I think you're so awesome. You, Vicky Barbalock, are a true top cunt. Thank you, Sharon. I accept your top cuntness with great gratitude. And I'd like to say that you're a top cunt too. I hope you have product because I want a t-shirt.